0: In every country, trees. You know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer.
1: Every day, climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talk by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up to date with developments in the arboriculture industry. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with today's talk, which is by John Goodfellow, about the destructive potential of branch failures. It was originally presented at the 2015 ISA International Conference in Orlando, Florida.
0: Well, I was uh, for first. Thanks for the invitation to speak. But I was just speaking with my good friend and colleague Jeff Kempter, and it's almost unfortunate that we've labeled this a utility session because Jeff and I both approached our talks as if this was about arboriculture, and it happens to influence the utility industry. But I hope by the end of my presentation, and I'm sure by Jeff's, you'll have a sense of how these things can be generally applied. So this particular project is looking at branch strikes. I put together an interdisciplinary team to complete it. Uh, Joe Potvin is an electrical engineer that is a researcher at the Electric Power Research Institute's Lenox, Massachusetts Massachusetts, uh, Research Laboratory. Um, Andreas Dieter is a name and a a personality, I think, uh, familiar to many in the ISA. Uh, and has been a collaborator on about three or four of the projects I've worked on. And I'll tell you a little bit about the series of projects that we've collaborated on. And then Ken James, Dr. James, um, also I think a name and an individual and a personality familiar to us uh, from Australia. has done some fabulous work on the dynamic behavior of trees uh, in wind. The project was primarily sponsored by the Electric Research, Electric Excuse me, Electric Power Research Institute, which is, uh, for those of you that don't know, a uh, cooperative institution that the utilities pay into to fund engineering and science related work. It's a very large and well funded organization and a very diverse portfolio of research, ranging from nuclear power to electric vehicles to avian interaction on power lines, vegetation management is one of the topics. Um, I worked actually not with the vegetation management arm of EPRI on this, but with the power delivery folks, because what we were looking at is the, uh, the engineering issues associated with tree strikes. And to be clear, uh, those of you that heard me speak before know I've had a, a long history now of, of working on issues related to tree-caused interruptions, and initially spent a great deal of time on the electrical mode of failure. Understanding how trees create faults and how faults become interruptions and interruptions become outages. That's a whole different body of work. What this particular presentation focuses on is the mechanical failures. So the damage to infrastructure, damage to a target. Frankly, the, the target could be a line, it could be a person, it could be a car, it could be a wood frame. Structure. I mentioned that uh, Andreas and I had collaborated on a number of projects, and um, it's been a a very fruitful collaboration. The first project we looked at was how branches perform under load, and to be clear, uh, people like Ken James, um, Ed Gilman work on dynamic loads. I tended to work on a simpler thing to study, and that would be static loads, whether it's ice or snow or even just precipitation, wet water. Trying to understand what we could determine in advance through condition assessment um, to decide if a branch was somehow structurally compromised and would be prone to failure. And that project uh, led us to a number of really interesting um, observations. Probably the most significant one is uh, identifying what we coined as the critical fracture zone. These branches don't fail at the union, so we've all been taught to look at unions and included bark, and, and that's all true. But the majority of the failures don't occur at the union. After we understood how branches failed um, and we tried to decide, well, what do you do about that? Obviously, you could remove them, but if you've heard Ken James speak before, he talks about the damping advantage of a branch, so that the motion of the tree is diminished because the the branch has a damping function. So we said, is there a way to reduce the likelihood of structural failure by branch reduction? And that project, um, so the the first project was presented, I think, in Providence, Rhode Island, at the ISA meeting. The... um, branch reduction project, which simulated ice loading, was presented, uh, I think, in Toronto. I can't remember. At an ISA meeting. So here is the third in a series. And in this particular case, what we've got is, can we tell if it's going to fail? If it's going to fail, do we have to remove it or can we do something about it? And if we can't do any of those things, can we understand how hard, a branch strikes a target, and then address that, either through hardening of the system or breakaway hardware, things like that. And I'll get back to the utility applications near the end, but at this point, I wanna, I wanna open everyone's minds to the idea of a target. Now the target, the funders were really focusing on lines, but as we know, a target could be your noggin, could be a car, could be a, a, a structure. Two two objectives. The first one was what EPRI was interested in. The question was, and I posed this question to them, after the big ice, uh, heavy snowstorms in New England, there was a lot of discussion about system hardening, and I'd say that happens after every hurricane as well. The question being, what might you do to a power system to make it more resilient? And I asked them, I mean, they were thinking about big, bigger poles and bigger arms and things like that. I said, how hard do you think this stuff is getting hit? And they realized they didn't have any data. So they couldn't do their structural analysis without an understanding of the force of impact. And that's how this project got funded. I've always fo- focused as well, because I'm not an academic researcher, I'm all about the applied science. And Canopy Meg, I thought this morning, did a great job saying uh, I have to answer the question, so what, when you do a research project, I think, anyway. So the second objective was more practical. Is there a way to come up with some uh, metric, if you will, or some set of criterion that could be applied by a practitioner in the field to identify, uh, the cons- the, the, quantify the consequences of a branch strike? And uh, I think we've done both things in this project. So this is the equation that we're familiar with. Even before the ISA Tree Risk Assessment uh, BMP came out, those uh, utility foresters that have been involved with herbicide applications recognized a variant of this when we talk about LD50s and and frequency or likelihood of exposure of applicators and, and the public. But the standard risk equation has two pieces. In the ISA tree risk assessment, the first two pieces have to do with, first, will the branch or tree fail, and secondly, will it strike the target? The second piece is, so what? What is the consequence of that strike? And interestingly, there is very little known, quantitatively, about the consequences of tree and branch strikes. And so that's uh, why we went after this. So let's talk about the consequences for a minute. I, I, as I've mentioned, it was a utility-funded project, and those are the kinds of things that are of uh, interest to the utility. So you have a loss of reliability, you have structural damage, you have the potential for wires down and hot and public exposure to a serious risk, you have the risk of wildfires. But also, substitute the target and think about a person. You could have just a, a light knock on the head, you could have contusion, you could have concussion, you could have a fatality. If you think about a vehicle, it could be just a glancing blow, a scratch, it could be like hail damage, it could be um, a serious strike and, and uh, serious body work, or it could total the car. You could go down the same range of consequences to, say, a wood frame structure where a branch or tree glances off the roof, or damages the shingles, or pierces the roof, or splits right down through the middle of the house. So um, there was very little known about that. And so we went to the literature to see if that really was true. And, and here are the areas uh, that we looked at. So Solometry basically is about the structure and form of trees. And why would we interest, be interested in that? Well, um, the distribution of mass through the crown is a big consideration when you think about the consequences. Uh, We'll talk about uh, potential kinetic energy here in a little bit, but the higher the mass is, the more energy available to the target. We also looked at the stability structures to think about uh, where the branches were failing and how they were failing. Why would we look at carbon sequestration and biomass? Again, because the mass distribution in a tree. Turns out there's not a lot out there. Um, on the mass or weight distribution in the crowns of trees. Um, Andreas had done a fair amount of work on uh, takedowns, tree removals, arborist working loads. And so that's dynamic loads of trees, but also has a static component. And some of that work was quite useful for us. Forestry operations, you know, the weights of wood. we We got a fair amount of information from helicopter logging. Um, engineering properties of wood And then the consequences of strikes So we did a fairly extensive Literature review um, And and uh, One of the takeaways from that is There is very little quantitative information On how hard um, A branch or a tree would hit anything It's all anecdotal So um, You know we all go to these meetings And we see these pictures of Trees through houses and threes, threes, um, Trees through cars and this is my wimpy little branch, and it's the only storm porn you're going to see. Um, but why, why did I focus on branches? Well, for a couple of reasons. Whole tree failures, I mean, at some point, you know you're gonna get hit really hard, and dead is dead, or, or damaged is damaged. But somewhere in a smaller size piece, there's a, a balance between risk and cost. We also um, know now, and this came through loud and clear, there was a biomechanics researcher summit at the Morton Arboretum three or four years ago. Practitioners in the audience told the researchers loud and clear that it's really interesting you're working on these whole tree failures and it's important, but you know five to one, branch failures are the issue. And we now have data from places like, um, I think it's Singapore or Hong Kong, It pretty much confirms that. So the majority of the problems are branch failures, not whole tree failures, but very little work's been done on the branches. And as I said, the um, branch failures might and might be survivable. So now we're going to get into the experimental design. So we used two species. This work was all done at Biomechanics Week Number 2, which was in 2013. Um, We uh, basically had 18 different specimens, 15 of them were uh, silver maple. If you look at the uh, narrative, this is the only place you're going to have English uh, numbers, metrics. Everything else is going to be in metrics. So um, we were working with trees, branches, excuse me. Silver maple were three to seven inch diameter on the butt end, and the, the London Plains were a little bit bigger. They were also um, heavier. And uh, you can see the lengths of these branches between 14 and 30 feet. So they, we're not talking about small branches. Just like I set aside the idea of whole tree failures, I mean, basically, going it, to it, there's not a lot of question around that. Really small branches are probably not something to worry about very much, so we picked branches of a size we thought there was something uh, important to us on. Now here's an example of the synergy that came from Tree Biomechanics Week. What we thought about when we we developed that week was to bring researchers in and we could just bounce ideas off each other. So I had designed the experiment. and. Um, I wasn't sure how I was gonna get the I mean, we're gonna harvest branches. Well it turns out that Jake this is a this is his experiment as well, he was that's not how he prunes a tree. <laughs> he was damaging these trees to simulate ice storm damage with the idea of returning to Biomechanics Week, the research site, and look at the tree response to that kind of damage and how you could do restoration pruning. But it turned out that he, prevented, uh, he provided us a great source of, of uh, testing materials. The other thing that was uh, really fortuitous with Tree Biomechanics Week, and again because we had the community of researchers, on the site, and by the way, you guys all funded that, and I thank you very much for that, was Ken James came wandering by and helped us really refine our our instrumentation placement and um, make our test jig a little more robust. So every specimen was dropped seven times unless they were fractured. We did record the fall Uh, when it was harvested and we did pick it and drop it three times with foliage on it and then we stripped all the leaves off and dropped it three more times. So uh, I I will apologize if I get a little bit redundant but I think what I learned in this investigation is that we use terms imprecisely. And so um, I'm gonna just keep uh, reminding you that force is different than momentum and energy is different than force and acceleration is different than velocity. So the sequence that happens is at rest, the branch represents potential energy. It has mass and it has a distance above a target and you can get to the velocity by measuring the rate of acceleration. As it falls, it accelerates. Now drag comes into the picture and at the point just before impact, this mass in motion has kinetic energy. What happens next is the, the, the branch slows down on impact, but more importantly, and this was a hard thing for me to get my head, head around, more importantly it's the momentum transfer and the, the increase in momentum of the target that tells the story, how the target re- behaves. And um, it's the transfer back uh, from the branch to the to the target that's important, and the rate at which that happens. So um, I shifted the whole thinking. I thought, well, I'm going to really get into what these branches are doing, what forces the branches are, and it's really about the target, and the branch is just the input. So then we had to, once we realized that, we had to figure out, well, what can we do? We can't put people in in the way. We can't build a power line and put a span of wire because it has different mass and different tensions and different lengths, so we picked the worst case. And if you think about impacts, the ones that potentially cause the most damage are the ones that strike immovable targets or rigid targets. And we'll explain in a little bit why that is. Um, basically though, the target doesn't disperse the energy over time, it's all at once, the peak is very high. So we picked a well casing. This is the test jig right here. Um, It has uh, equipment on it, I'll show you that in a minute, and those blue and white poles are range poles we use for scaling purposes in the photography because we're measuring uh, velocity and acceleration. So you can see the yellow arrows are used for the camera. We use a high-speed video camera, Um, let's see. So these are half meter bands. So we can measure the rate at which this visual target, we had a couple of these visual targets, went past the scale in the frame. And down here, little blue thing there, and the little blue thing there are two accelerometers. So we can measure the uh, rate of acceleration and deceleration on impact. So I had to figure out how far to drop these things from. Well, I've done a number of studies now for utilities and I can tell you that the, the canopies are much lower than I think people think about. Just like we all remember the big messy whole tree failures that destroy three phase lines or flatten cars, um, we remember the big tall stands, the big trees. But when you look at all trees, you look at the forest, the uh, canopy heights are much lower. So um, what I did was I said, okay, the distribution system is up there at 8 to 10 meters above the ground, and the canopies are another 8 beyond that. So I I picked 7-meter drops. So these are like 20-plus feet, 22-feet drops. A couple things there. It doesn't sound like very much, but the drop point is measured from where the branch was cut. And so these 14 to 30-foot branches go from that 20 feet up. Really, those are, the, those are the kinds of branches we're talking about. All right, there's, there's a still image of a test in progress. I have some videos I'm going to show you here in a moment. But I'll just point out a couple things so you have an idea of what we're actually doing. There's those visual targets on the branch. Here's my visual references here. You can't see the accelerometers. Um, there, we picked them and dropped them from a controlled height. Did it 86 times. It's actually kind of fun. So, let's look at what happens. See if I can get the cursor here. And I go here. Whoops. That's Jake right there. Dr. Maspari He's harvesting specimens. He's creating ice-damaged trees. So, we had that file. Data from the accelerometers. Pretty interesting. So, um... This is that fall you just saw. So we've got one G and a negative one G. So we have the force of gravity. He's moving around in the tree. All of a sudden, the tree, the chainsaw goes and the branch starts to fall. It gets near zero Gs. It's in free fall. And then it hits the ground. And a whole lot of things go on for quite a bit of time. And I'm going to show you some more detail on that. So here is a test with the real data. Okay, here's what leaves on. Um, things to watch, look at the form and look at the behavior on impact. You can see that in fact, it's not a immediate and terminated event. It continues. Right, so that's momentum being transferred and it's coming back and forth and that's why you see that kind of curve on those graphs. And these uh, accelerometers are measuring um, momentum in the three axes, and picking it's a, its a composite, so it's the maximum amount of momentum. Going back to this one now, um, you can see in the upper right, their um, impact, that's the peak force right there. And um, the key point is how long that, uh, how broad the base of that peak is. Okay, now I want to show you this because uh, there's a couple lessons here. Um, if you've noticed, every one of my drops has been horizontal, we controlled that. So there's a limitation of the study. It doesn't look at glancing blows, um, but also this will show you how long the impact goes on. And it goes on. So it didn't always work. This is like one of those outtakes or a blooper. You can see it's not level. It's not horizontal. And uh, things are much more dramatic in slow motion. <laughs> so it's a glancing blow, and all of a sudden the target responds. So we did not load the target, we deflected the target, the branch responds, and it's, it just goes on and it goes on and goes on. So actually, the force, the peak force, is lower on this one because the time interval was extended. Okay, so now we get into the math. If you remember, I said the, one of the keys, besides trying to come up with quantitative information the engineers could use in a structural analysis, one of the keys was trying to see if there was a way we could identify um, assessment criterion that somebody could stand on the ground and determine. Um, So, every one of these uh, graphs has diameter in the x-axis because most assessors can stand on the ground and be pretty good about estimating branch diameters. So we wanted to know first, how did the diameters look um, if you just looked at weight or mass? And not surprisingly, there's a relationship between the diameter and the mass. And, and actually, when you think about the geometry, the, um, the volume or cross-sectional area relationship to diameter, um, mass goes up much faster than diameter. So it's not a linear relationship. Um, so' sort of proved math that, in that case. Uh, but you can also see uh, the green line and the um, yellow, or the green and yellow dots are leaves on, leaves off. So the foliage presence of foliage does not affect the mass enough to worry about. Okay, so the next thing we think about is how are we gonna actually now model this? So um, I've said this a couple times, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, you've got an input. The thing starts at rest with, uh, and you can calculate the potential energy. And um, that's something you can do before the branch fails. So we're getting closer to the idea that maybe standing on the ground, we can look at a branch and, and do a better job uh, with the consequences of the potential strike. And then uh, once it gets moving, it becomes kinetic energy. energy and then the target... Uh, responds somehow, so does the branch it deflects, it deforms, it's damaged or whatever, but this transfer function is really an important part of the whole analysis so let's look at the accelerometer data this is sitting on the branch so this is what the branch experiences when we start before we actually pull the trip the branch experienced 1G you all are experiencing 1G right now and uh, when we pull the trip line, all of a sudden there's some uh, acceleration creating a little higher force. But then it goes into free fall. Here's zeroed gravity. So it doesn't get to, this, it does, it, there's drag, right? So it's not accelerating at the, the uh, acceleration constant of gravity, it's accelerating a little slower. So you have some positive g-force, but not much. And then there's an impact, but in this case, First the secondary branches hit and then the main stem hits and out it goes and here you can see We've got 13 G's of force So make the math easy if it's hundred pounds or 100 kilograms if you prefer metric or English measures Just multiply by 13 and that's the equivalent weight that the target experiences in this particular case It's not insignificant so here's the, the uh, other accelerometer, and it's sitting there at 1 G because that's the, f- the constant for gravity, and the branch is falling, but it doesn't know it, and then it gets hit, and there's a spike, and then there's oscillation. It rings like a bell, and is dispersing that energy, and the broader the base, the lower the peak. This one happens to be just about the same. We saw them as high as 20 Gs. So again, if you had hundred pounds of branch, you have one ton equivalent weight on the target. That puts it in context, it goes, it's, it's pretty significant. I mean, it would hurt, it would hurt you. So here they are as pairs, and we kind of looked at that again, um, so we spent a lot of time on it, but um, we pulled the trip, and this is the accelerometer on the branch, and this is what happens to the, uh, the target. And the target, again, is the most important one, so, so we know there's a relationship between the diameter of the branch and the mass, and so the next question is, well, can we? Can, does that turn into uh, get us does it get us closer to force? Okay, so force is we know the, we we know the mass thing. We can estimate the height. So we're looking now at at the rate of acceleration. None of these branches reach terminal velocity. They didn't fall far enough, and I don't think in any case, given any tree height, um, that your branch will reach terminal velocity. What that means is they're accelerating, but the rate of acceleration is slowing. And if we do the math here, you can see that potential energy is a theoretical energy uh, given the acceleration constant. But what we really got was kinetic energy immediately before impact and the difference there is drag. So then you have to ask yourself, how do we, what's the influence of foliage? What's the influence of drag? And I should go back, these R-squares are pretty high. So this one says there's a relationship between the at rest branch and the kinetic energy available just before impact. So you can look at the at rest branch and and infer the energy um, prior to impact. So what about the seasonal variation? Because now we're looking at the the energy as it's expressed, as just before impact. Leaves on, leaves off. Not enough difference to worry about. So not only is the growing season um, and the foliage not important, if you're dealing at a practical level. Um, with a termination of the force of impact, Um, it doesn't affect the mass enough and it does not affect the drag enough, the rate of or the velocity of the branch, to really be much of a concern. And frankly, from a practical standpoint, what would you do? I mean, I guess if you were considering uh, the target as a person and the space was an outdoor one and and there was a seasonal variation in the, the frequency of people using the space, You might think that the leaves on, leaves off is gonna be important. But for a fixed target, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Which is also good news, trying to get to the simpler thing. So now we can calculate, now we know these things, we can calculate the momentum. And uh, again, here it's not a straight line relationship. So the momentum available to transfer um, is much, much higher with larger branches. That's intuitive, not a big surprise. But now we have quantitative information that'll allow us to talk about so what. And still we have a pretty decent um, R squared and here's the bottom line, here's the force. And the data get messier. Um, And partly because we had a couple branches I think that were atypical. But if you look at, again, the bottom, or the x-axis is diameter, this is in centimeters, but we're really looking at Pretty good clustering around that line, up to about four, five, six inch butts. Above that point, it starts to go haywire. But above that point, you've got a lot of force and it may not be survivable at all. So um, what we have now is uh, uh, quantitative data that we've given the engineers. They can think about the implications of a force on a catenary curve, a span of conductor and determine um, what they might do about that. So I mentioned uh, in that one example that went badly that um, we didn't look at glancing blows. And uh, so we didn't... It, it's, it's an important observation. It's important to acknowledge that. The good news is it would be a lower force. So again, we've got a worse case. Um, we didn't consider... Um, Branches that remain attached Sweeps Now they would be lower as well They would not be moving as fast They would accelerate at a slower rate The velocities would be lower And in fact if they're still attached The effective mass would be smaller And of course we didn't look at whole tree failures So what do my clients do with this? (laughs) Well I think we demonstrate that diameter is a good proxy For the weight and that an observer can um, measure the height, and now we know enough about the rate of acceleration that with those three pieces of information, we can uh, come up with a force. And what we need to then say is what are these, well, the, how long the force, the period of the force, and the peak force, and turn that into a consequence. So um, I, I'm optimistic that, we, that that practical aspect Was solved Uh, What EPRI has now um, And what we as an industry have Is an ability to include um, More quantitative basis For the consequence discussion In our um, Risk assessments We also I think can develop um, A scoring Criterion for consequence This is an area in the existing BMP that's probably the weakest in my opinion I mean there's a lot of work that's been done On how how predicting the likelihood of a tree failure? Lots and lots of work on that. It's pretty straightforward to look at the likelihood of a target impact because you're dealing with the uh, geometry basically in the presence of the target or not. But the consequences in the BMP are uh, just generally stated. And what I'm hopeful of is that we can um, and take take that. And, and make it more specific. I'll get to that point again in a moment. So, so I blew past that first slide. Let me let me tell you what it really, really says. Is for the existing overhead utility system, we can work with that. Now that we know how hard things will get hit, the targets will behave differently. Older copper wire, annealed wire can't survive the strikes like the ACSR can. So we can develop things like that. We can also think about branch size and and heights above conductors and factor that into our risk assessment. What EPRI was working on was not only the existing infrastructure, but looking at new, new designs. Can they make designs that can survive an impact? Or if they can't survive an impact, can they make breakaway connections so that what uh, The damage that's done doesn't, uh, doesn't take a tremendous amount of effort to put back together From the standpoint of general, uh, general application to arboriculture um, We now know how, um, how hard a branch can strike a target And what I would like to do is to um, And I'll apply to tree fund for a grant on this I think Or somebody needs to do this um, look at the, um, the, the trauma literature, blunt force trauma. There's a lot of research on that. If we look at what the medical community knows about the force of impact, I mean, think crash test dummies. It's all that, that data is all there, that information is there. We now have uh, a means of saying, this is how hard it ha- hits us, so what can we say about the consequences to a person? Same thing on vehicles. You know, they know a lot about crashes and and how vehicles perform with different forces of impact. So we should be able to provide uh, more structure in in the risk assessment around that kind of target. Same goes for wood frame structures. There's a a whole wealth of information, uh, structural engineering on loads, and uh, we now just have to... Take our data on the force of impact, apply it to these other kinds of targets, and I think we can come up with a much better way to come up with consequences. Um, and then finally, uh, I think it's probably useful, although mathematically we might not have to do this, to do some drops from a higher height. We do know how fast they were moving and how, what the rate of acceleration was after seven meters of drop, and we could probably extend that another seven meters. So 14 or 15 times 3. So then you're getting up there in the 45 feet above the target range, which starts to get about as high as most trees we'd have to even think about. So so I'd like to think we could do that as well. The last thing I have is a plug. Again, thank you all for sponsoring Tree Fund and being actively involved with ISA. Those two organizations provided the opportunity. Every, paid the majority of the cost, but the tree fund and ISA provided the opportunity to actually do this work during biomechanics week. The auction this evening has a number of really interesting premiums. Um, I actually got invited to be the MC, so you get to hear me again. I would invite you all to come, and I'm a little bit early. Pedro, do I have uh, time for a couple questions or not? Yeah, I got like three or four minutes if, uh, if there are questions. Yeah. Yeah, the butt end. Yeah, um, so what we did was, um, it's a good question. What we did was we determined the center of gravity of the branch and measured the um, diameter at that point and it, uh, for two reasons. One was to answer the question I think that you're implying, but also practically to try to pick the branch so it remained horizontal We had to pick the CG, and so we have data on on that, yes. Any other questions? Uh, Jeff, Pedro's an MC in here. Have you considered dead
1: wood and the brittle factor and what might occur? Force-wise that way?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, Of the 86 drops that we had, the reason we didn't have, um, so if we had 18 different specimens dropped seven times, you can do the math, and we really only did 86, we didn't do over 100 the reason that we didn't do all of those drops is because they would fracture. And they didn't fracture when the leaves were on because there's where the drag, aerodynamic drag of leaves are important is in the damping on impact, not the acceleration in the fall. And so um, without the leaves, they whipped harder. And if they were more rigid, they would experience the just like, the, tar- I mean, I've been talking about the target the whole time, the force of impact is greatest um, on a target that's rigid well, if the, because it doesn't move. And so it concentrates the force in a very short time interval. If the branch is dead um, and, and uh, brittle and rigid, it will fracture faster. So it'll experience a higher peak force. won't experience any more force, but a higher peak force. And that probably means that the target experiences a different force. If the branch breaks, it probably it takes some of the momentum with it when it falls past the target to be lower. And a question over here, yeah? Is there any correlation between the force and the wind load ratings for a lot of our distribution facilities? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the uh, NESC has structural, uh, it's the code, and it has structural. Structural um, requirements for wind loading and ice loading, and that's, in fact, how the EPRI engineers are working on uh, applying this information to uh, structural, in, in, in making the structures more ro- robust. So if, it, if it's more survivable for this static or this kind of impact, it'll be more survivable for wind and ice loading as well. Well, that's
1: kind of where's the threshold? I mean, yeah. what weight-
0: Well, so there, I understand the question, but you can't answer it um, because we actually—I mean, you can see the data I presented. It varied across the range of diameters and masses. The only constant there was the height we dropped them from. Pardon me. What was the range? Range was from between—I said twenty was on the high end. The the low end was like eight gs, somewhere in that range. Yeah. 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 yeah pretty much. Uh, uh, the, the yes, that's true. Yeah. Any other questions? All right, well, I hope I see you at the auction and thanks for the support.
1: This concludes John Goodfellow's talk on the destructive potential of branch failures. To learn more, you can get additional information at the ISA web store, including the ANSI A300 Tree Risk Assessment Standard and the collection of CEU articles on tree risk assessment. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this talk, visit the ISA online store and select online CEU quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture.
0: Dreams in every country Trees, you know we can Work together and learn what we need To meet the challenge Traditional skills and modern techniques Whatever language you speak You have a world to offer every day
1: I'm with the ISA